calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, everyone. I'm Lauren Foster. Welcome to the Take 15 podcast from CFA Institute. This is the show where we bring you an unbiased lens on investing and capital markets through short conversations with some of the world's most interesting and accomplished people. This week, my colleague Bob Stammers is in the host seat. He sat down with David Knox, senior partner at Mercer Australia and the lead author of the Mercer CFA Institute Global Pension Index to talk about the characteristics that make up a good pension system. Their conversation covers the conception of the Global Pension Index, its purpose and value, and how it's being used by pension managers and policymakers around the world. They also discuss the challenges facing pension systems globally, including the COVID-19 pandemic's impact on contributions, leakages, and investor preferences. I hope you enjoy their conversation. David Knox, welcome. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining me today. So just so our audience get a better understanding of the Mercer CFA Institute Global Pension Index, can you take us back to its inception and tell us what you were hoping to solve with it provide some of the basics in assessing the ratings and then describe how it's evolved over the last 12 years. Sure, and uh, thanks, Bob. Thanks for the invitation. Um, the Global Pension Index really started in 2009 when we did the pilot study of 11 systems or countries' pension systems. It's important to note that the study does not just look at the private pension or occupational pension systems, but the broader pension system, public and private pensions, as well as savings and support for financial security outside formal pension systems. What we're trying to look at is what are the features of the better pension systems in the world? And we break this down into three sub-indices. The first one is adequacy. In other words, what do you get out of the system? What are the features of the pension design, if you like, of the better systems. Second is sustainability. Can the system keep delivering, not just this year, but 10, 20, 30 years time? In other words, we, don't, we want something that provides good benefits, but can keep providing those benefits. And that's a bit of a tension between adequacy and sustainability. And the third sub-index is really integrity. And that is, can you trust the system? Because if you can't trust the system, then I would argue it's not sustainable and there will be com community reaction to it. So those three components are our three sub-indices. We then combine them to get the score for each system's, uh, the, the assessment of each system. Right, and so it's of the, of the systems in the index, it's really about comparing them against each other, right? It's, it's not about coming up with a overall rating, but it's ways for systems to kind of understand what they're doing well? That's, that's correct. And what can we learn from each system? Uh, what are the good systems doing? Now we recognize that every system comes out of that 
country's economy, their culture, their history, their social interaction. So you can't just transplant one pension system into another country. You've got to do it in the societal uh, culture context, the political context, etc. But I think we have discovered that there are some features of the better systems that can actually apply universally. Great. So I know Maria Wilton um, from the CFA Institute and the Index Board did a Take 15 recently to introduce the index and discuss CFA Institute becoming a principal sponsor of the index. Instead, can you give us um, a summary of the highlights in the 2020 index report? Sure. Well, the 2020 report now looks at 39 systems around the world, uh, representing just under two thirds of the world's population. Uh, the, the, the top four systems, if you like, um, are Netherlands and Denmark, which are A grade and both score above 80. There is then quite a gap to uh, Israel and Australia, who score in the 74. So you can see that Netherlands, Denmark, 81, 82. Israel is third, Australia is fourth, both with scores in the 74s. So the top two are, if you like, well ahead of, of the others. I think the other uh, thing we've learned or seen in the 2020 index, of course, is the beginning of the impact of COVID-19 because COVID-19 is impacting uh, pension systems in many ways, not only this year, but for years to come. So what were any surprises this year as opposed to from years past? Oh, I think the surprise to me, uh, we're continuing to expand the index and, um, and add new systems. And this year we added Belgium and Israel. Um, Belgium ended up with a score similar to many other European countries and similar to the UK, but Israel came in third. And that was a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, the Israeli system is, uh, has been developed in the last 20 years and is continuing to develop. It provides a universal pension of 25% of the average wage for everybody over the pension age. And it has a private pension system with compulsory or mandatory contributions of 6% by employees and 6.5% by employers. So you've got 12.5% going into a funded pension system, occupational pensions, if you like, or a personal pension account, and you've got a universal pension of 25% of the average wage paid to everybody. So it's a balance between public and private, but it provides good benefits. And that's why Israel came in third. That's pretty good for something that's a new entry into the index. Yeah, okay. um, so what, so you're reading the, these systems and you're looking for ways for them to, to compare against each other, compare if they're a system outside the index to compare to ones in the index to see if they're doing things right. So what are some of the characteristics of those pension systems that are high in the index and those that are kind of lower on the scale? Sure. I think uh, the better systems, and let me start with that one, the better systems have a balance. They don't rely purely on the public pension and they don't rely purely on private pensions. Um, if I look at some systems in Southern Europe, um, Austria, Italy, Spain, for example, they rely very heavily on the government, social security or public pension. They have virtually no money set aside in the private pensions. Similarly, 
if you rely very heavily on the private pensions, then I think you actually leave out some people who haven't been in the workforce and have no uh, personal funding. So I think the better systems have this balance between public pension and funded private pensions. The other thing I think that the, the better systems do is they coverage cover or include most of the workforce. They don't just include white collar workers or public servants, but they cover as many people as possible. Now, this is a real challenge in many economies because how do you um, include the self-employed? How do you include gig workers? What about in uh, many developing economies, the informal labour market? How do you include those people? So I think we've got to find ways of including everybody and not just those who work for major corporations, if you like, which is often a trend. I think the other features that we see in the better systems is that the money set aside for a retirement, which is really the purpose of a pension system, is not available early on. Uh, in some systems, you will be able to access the money when you change jobs. Uh, and you know, examples might be the US, South Africa I examples, where people can access some of that money when they're 45 or 50. Uh, no, in my view, pensions are there for retirement. And I'll just give you a personal example from Australia. When I uh, left my first job in my 20s, I was able to withdraw that money, I bought a car with it. <laughs> that, car, that car is no longer. I am still working. <laughs> so I rest my case. Right, right. Um, so, so I think it, it's that preservation. I think the other feature that I see in the better systems, and we of course are moving in many countries from defined benefit to defined contribution arrangements, is that in a defined contribution arrangement, you get this accumulation, this pot of money, if you like. Now, notwithstanding that it is a pot or a capital sum when you retire, the system must still have a focus on providing income, on providing a pension. Uh, I'm not saying that one has to buy an annuity with all the money. I think there are other purposes that can be used, but predominantly the system should provide a pension and steady regular income for people in retirement. Um, so again, that's another feature, I think, of the better systems. Right, well, considering, you know, the interest rate environment that we're in and where economic growth is, it's gotta be much more difficult for these systems to provide that income to beneficiaries. So what are the main challenges that are facing systems today? And um, how are they impacting the adequacy, sustainability, and integrity <laughs> of existing systems globally? Well, I, I think one of the, even before we look at the economic factors, uh, most countries are facing an aging population. So we've got more people moving into their 60s, 70s, 80s than we have had, and clearly the baby boomers are, are coming through as well. Uh, fertility rates are down, we're not having enough babies to put it, <laughs> simply, um, and we're all living longer. So yeah, that combination is a real pressure. And I think that's a real pressure, particularly on systems that rely very heavily on government pensions. Because what, whatever the system is, and depending on whether there's any funding or whether it's a pay-as-you-go system, there are pressures there. 
I think, as you indicated, uh, with the current economic climate, um, low economic returns, low interest rates, etc. So there's a real pressure there. Now, uh, people point out and say, but the share market's recovered, and that's true, depending on which market you're in and which stocks you have. But we also find that particularly in a DC system, uh, many retirees, when they uh, take their capital sum, even if they invest it for an income, they invest it in a risk averse way. Let me put it simply, they put it in a, a bank account, what might be called a term deposit or something of that nature. Now the interest rates on those assets are now incredibly low. So the rate of return they're getting in their retirement years is much lower than it's been before. Um, and therefore, there is a danger that retirees will in fact uh, take extra risk in their retirement years with their investments to try and recapture, if you like, or replace the higher return that they're used to. Um, so I think that is an, an issue that uh, we're all facing. So it's a combination of demography, it's a combination of the economic factors, and I think the other challenge that we have is inevitably um, with increased government debt um, and public pensions are going to be under pressure, maybe not next year, but going forward, individuals are going to have to take more and more responsibility for their own pension provision. Now that means that the pension systems themselves have to be much more transparent and there has to be better governance, better communication to members. And while we're not suggesting that uh, every uh, pension plan member needs to become an actuary or anything of that nature, uh, we need to communicate with our members much more simply than we have in the past. Uh, people will, are not going to read 10 page reports. They're not going to even read emails. We have to think about how we communicate, how we get the messages across in language that people can understand. So I know that the, you know, the level of government expenditures, the level of government debt all factor into the ratings for systems. And I'm thinking, Emma, you know, and there's issue with, well, what I'm saying is that COVID has kind of acerbated all these issues with governments. And I'm wondering what you think the legacy of COVID may be on the challenges to pension systems going forward. Yes, I think, uh... COVID is going to have a number of longer term impacts. So the shorter term impact is clearly um, the economic growth and this year is much lower than we expected. Many countries are in recession. Um, we've also talked about uh, government debt and that's going to have an impact on future government expenditure. Uh, I think there's going to be an ongoing pressure to look at governments to look at the pension age or the retirement age, depending on how it's termed. Um, if people have got uh, less money in their pension because of lower contributions or lower in economic returns, will they want to work longer? So there's going to be a pressure at the back end of the working career, um, if you like, at, at, at that point. Um, one of the other pressures that will affect different countries in different ways is migration. Now, we've clearly seen migration virtually stop in 2020 because of travel. Um, in fact, again, just looking at Australia, Australia is looking at net negative migration in 2020 and 2021 for the first time in more than 100 years. Now, 
we're not the only country who's seen that impact. But if migration stops or slows down, many immigrants are younger, uh, younger families, single people, etc. That is that has been having, if you like, a positive impact on the aging population because you've got migrants coming in, the aging population is uh, slowing, if you like, compared to where it would have been. If you've got less migration, the aging population will get older quicker. <laughs> um, on the other hand, the countries these people would have come from <laughs> reap the benefits of the younger people staying. So we've got this migration effect that will play out in different ways in different countries. Got it. So, um, you know, you were talking about the effect of um, uh, what's happening with the systems on how people are investing, like COVID, people are maybe investing uh, with less risk and things like that. So I'm wondering, what has the impact of the financial crisis been on some of the issues on local pension systems and what individuals can do to help themselves uh, create a more secure retirement? Sure. Well, one of the impacts of COVID, and we see this in it, virtually every financial crisis, particularly in DC systems where people have got the opportunity of switching their investments. Uh, behavior, uh, economic behavior, if you like, is that some individuals after the share market crashes move from the growth or balanced area of the investments to the risk averse area of cash or bonds. Now, if you do that after the market has crashed, you've crystallized your losses. Exactly. <laughs> and then these individuals say, oh, the market's recovered, I'll now switch back. <laughs> um, this is not a good outcome. So I think what we have to do is we, as we move more towards DC systems, more towards individual responsibilities, we need to engage individuals and warn them not to take that behavior. Um, and to say, saving through a pension system is a long-term investment. Don't worry about the volatility index. Don't worry about the fact that the market has dropped three or 5%. You're in it for the long-term. And just yeah, put that aside, let it grow. It will grow in different ways in different years. But um, I think uh, we have to help people understand that the market is naturally one that moves around and don't worry about that. So try and be responsible, try and understand the long term and that you're investing for 30, 40 or 50 years. So what you see on the news each night where it moves half a percent or 2%, don't worry about it. Uh, and, and, and therefore think about keeping your diversified portfolio rather than switching and trying to pick the market. Right. I know one of your recommendations, and it's been one of the recommendations in the index report for a few years, is the idea that you know pension systems should try to limit uh, leakages or the abilities for people to get, and you already mentioned that today, about people getting to their money early. And I'm one, I know that governments have had to do this temporarily during COVID in order to help people get through the financial issues they have, but I'm wondering if you're worried at all about that being a bad precedent for the future. Yes, we've certainly seen in COVID some governments uh, open up the opportunities for people to access their money earlier. This has happened in Australia, in Spain and some other countries. Um, some other 
countries have uh, suspended or decreased the level of compulsory contributions, uh, either into social security or into private pensions. I think there is a, a natural tension, and you've highlighted this, um, when we get into a crisis, oh, I've got $100,000 in my pension account, why can't I access it now? And um, th there is that danger because you, once you open that door, then people say, oh, okay, well, I want to also use that money for housing or education or health. Um, I'm of the view that you've actually got to uh, limit that very strictly. And I think that uh, we've seen different governments during COVID uh, restrict that in different ways. And rather than just open it uh, for anybody to pick out $20,000 or $100,000 or whatever, I would have preferred a system whereby a government might have said, to access the money in the next six months, you've got to show me that your income has dropped or been reduced by X dollars. If you can show that to me, then you can access some of your money. But it's only available for a very restricted period. Um, rather than if you just open the gates, people are going to think, oh, it's available for other things. I think we've got to uh, really restrict that leakage. Um, COVID-19 was obviously the first major pandemic in 100 years, so we're in a different environment. But the pension system has to be there for retirement. And once we open the doors a little bit, there will be people who want to open it even further. Um, I think, of course, if you look at a system like Singapore's, uh, they will have different buckets of money for different purposes. And that's another way of going to say, well, here's a bucket of money for retirement, here's a bucket of money for health or education or housing. Um, but I, I think it's very important that the pension system is there for retirement, and that's what we need to concentrate on. Great, great. Well, you know, uh, I know the 2020 index report is out, so if you could tell our audience how they can get a hold of it and uh, what they'll find there, um, I think they'd be very uh, yeah, appreciative sure. of that. Well, I, I think the easiest way to find it is just Google global 2020 Global Pension Index, and then you'll go to the Mercer website, and uh, it'll, it'll be there. The uh, report is 91 pages, uh, which can be downloaded free of charge, no, uh, no, no uh, charge at all. So, uh, but if you don't want to look at the 91 pages, uh, there is a four-page executive summary or infographic uh, that you can also download, which uh, summarizes the findings. And there's also a neat feature where you can go in and uh, nominate up to four countries and compare their systems. Uh, so rather than, you know, compare uh, Colombia with uh, China uh, with South Africa. If you want four countries you want to look at, tick them off and there it will give you the results. That's great stuff. All right, well sadly we'll have to leave it there. David, it's been a real pleasure talking with you and getting more information about the health of pension systems globally and discovering where there are opportunities for greater, greater pension reform and outcomes for beneficiaries. Thank you so much for joining us. Me, thanks Bob. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and it helps others find the show. Also, a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting or legal advice, please consult a professional.
I am Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening.